Thank you, Chet. Uh, I would actually also like to pray. So bow your heads with me in prayer as well. <laughs> Can't have too much prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, God, the, the text we're going to look at today is ancient words. Father, they are your words uh, from before time began. Uh, God, I pray this morning that we would have open hearts to receive your teaching that we would have open hearts that would yearn to be humble. Father, we're going to look at what pride and humility are today. Lord, I pray that we would seek to be a humble church, that we would seek to be um, people that cherish humility and hate pride. not only in ourselves, but in um, those around us, that we would edify one another, we would point each other towards humility. Uh, And God, that we would see Jesus Christ, your son, um, as our humility, as we'll see this morning. Um, Can we pray this in his name? Amen. I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply. I never thought about who I was hurting, Instead, I thought only about myself. I ran straight through the boundaries that a married couple should live by. I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. Tiger Woods said these words in a very publicized apology that he gave in 2010. He gave it because it became common knowledge. It was revealed to the public that he had been having... Uh, multiple affairs with multiple women that he'd been cheating on his wife. His wrongdoing had been exposed and he was humiliated by it. Um, And the quote explains why he did it. He said, I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply. I thought only about myself. I felt I was entitled. Now, I... When I first read these words from Tiger Woods, I was amazed, Um, not because they were true of him, but because I saw how often those things are true of me, how often those thoughts and those feelings cross my own mind, how often I feel entitled, how often I don't think about who else I'm hurting, how... I think that the rules don't apply to me, that I'm an exception a lot of the time. When I get angry because I catch all red lights on my way to work, it's because I feel like I'm the exception. I should get green lights. I shouldn't have to stop. If, if I am at home and my roommate Aaron comes in and he's getting home from work, because I usually get home before him, and... I just ignore him because I think I have better things to do. That's me hating him. I'm, I'm not concerned about him. I'm concerned about myself. I'm concerned about the things that I want to do. There are so many times throughout our days, each and every day, when, when we all feel exactly as Tiger Woods did. This, the same thoughts, the same feelings that led him to adultery are the same things that motivate many of our decisions. 
each and every day. Because I know I'm not the only one that feels those ways. I know I'm not the only one that feels entitled a lot of the time. We all do. And that's the point that, like Tiger Woods, we are immensely proud people. We all are. And yes, our, our pride might not lead to as scandalous or destructive behaviors as his did, but that same pride infiltrates our lives just as pervasively. And that should deeply concern us. Now, the passage we're going to look at today is Daniel 4, 28 through 37, as, as we already said. It's a story about pride and humility. The story is about Nebuchadnezzar, who was, at the time, in the 6th century, was the most powerful man in the world. He was the king of Babylon. He was the king of the Babylonians. He ruled over the greatest city in the world and the most powerful nation in the world. If anyone was worthy of being proud of themselves and their accomplishments, it would have been him. Tiger Woods has nothing on him in being able to think, I'm entitled to glory. I can put myself before others. Yet, we'll see how God humiliated him in his pride. We'll see how God took everything from him and only restored it to him when he humbled himself and submitted himself to the Lord. And that, what we'll see, is the point of the story as a whole. God humiliates the proud and he exalts the humble. And that's why we should be concerned about our own pride. Yes, our pride might not be as extravagant as we'll see Nebuchadnezzar's was or Tiger Woods, but again, it's just as present and pervasive in our lives. It's, it leads to the same conclusion, our humiliation. It warrants us the same fate as those two men. We deserve that humiliation And God uses Nebuchadnezzar as an example for us to learn from. Daniel passed on that example to us as a call to humility. So again, God humiliates the proud and exalts the humble. That fact, excuse me, the fact naturally begs a couple questions. For one, why? Why does God need to humiliate the proud and exalt the humble? Two, how does he do that? And then three, Are there exceptions to that rule? We're going to look at how our passage responds to each of those questions. And ultimately, my hope is that we'll all see that God humiliates the proud and exalts the humble for his glory and for our good. As strange as that sounds, it is for our good. It is a loving and gracious thing for God to humble us. My hope is that we'll see that humility is to be prized and not despised as our culture likes to make us think. With that said, follow along with me as I read from Daniel 4, verses 28 through 37. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? 
While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know what the mo- know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will." Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now God clearly humiliates Nebuchadnezzar because of his pride in the passage, and then he exalts and restores him to power when he is humble. So again, the first thing we, want to, we ask ourselves is, why did God do this? Why does God humiliate the proud and exalt the humble? If, if you're like me, you're kind of a, like, you would be unnerved by that. I'm unnerved by that a little bit. I, I think to myself, why is pride so wrong? Why, why can't I be a proud of my accomplishments? And why is being humble so much better than being proud? We see so often in life that people, a lot of the time, people that are humble, you don't see them being exalted by those around them. And so it, it seems like we would want to be proud, not humble. So why, why does God turn that on its head and says, no, pride is wrong, humility is right? To answer that question, to answer all of those questions, we must first recognize that pride and humility are not simply personality traits. Someone's not proud or humble like they're extroverted or introverted. To be proud or humble shows how you view the world fundamentally. They show how you view yourself in light of God. Uh, C.J. Mahaney wrote a book called Humility. I have it here. Uh, If you haven't read this book, I highly recommend reading this book. It's great. It's really short. It's a quick read, but it's really good. I don't know how much it costs, but if you, if you can't, like, if you don't have the money to pay for it, I will give you my copy. I want you guys to read it. It's great. But uh, in the book, he defines humility and pride, and his definitions are really good. He says, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. So in other words, humility is rightly viewing ourselves in relation to God. Now, In opposition to that, pride is 
dishonest assessment of ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. So pride is wrongly viewing ourselves in relation to God. Pride is inherently false. It is a misperception of reality. And that is why pride is so wrong. Look at verses 28 through 30. It says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built from my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Notice here what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying, this is the royal palace of Babylon. This is my city. I have built this with my mighty power and I have built it for my glory. And we should imagine he, he's, he's on the roof of the palace. He's on the roof of uh, the highest point in the city. He's looking out over this vast city, the biggest city in the world at the time. And he's also, he's got to see uh, the hanging gardens of Babylon that he built for his wife. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, these magnificent gardens that he created. He's got to be looking out and seeing, wow, I am the most powerful man in the world. I'm the greatest human being that exists right now. That is what he's, he's, that's what he's saying here. That's what he was thinking. But the issue here is that Yes, perhaps he was the most powerful man in the world at the time. Perhaps he was the ruler of the largest nation in the world, but he's only reflecting on his relationship to other human beings. He's clearly ignoring the fact that, yes, he might be great from an earthly standpoint, but before God, he is nothing, Nebuchadnezzar is not even considering his relationship to God. He's not considering that, yes, he is the king of Babylon, but that is only granted to him by God's power. He is in his pride falsely perceiving the world. He's ignoring the fact that God is ruler and king over all. So what should Nebuchadnezzar be remembering? Think about Job 34, verses 14 and 15, which says that God, if God decided to gather his spirit and breath to himself, that all flesh would perish and that man would return to dust. Nebuchadnezzar needs to be reminding himself that at every moment, just like for us, at every moment, our existence is maintained perpetually by God. If at any moment... He decided that he didn't want to sustain us. We would cease to exist. That is how dependent we are on God. And that is how dependent Nebuchadnezzar was on God. He should be reminding himself that his intellect, his military prowess, his leadership capabilities, everything that led him to the rise of power that he accomplished, all of that is given to him from God. None of it is inherently his own. He did not achieve that of his own volition. It was given to him by God. What do we have that we have not received? Nebuchadnezzar needed to remind himself of that. He failed to think about those things, and that reveals itself in his pride. The evil and sinfulness of pride is in the fact that proud human beings fail to recognize God and their dependence on him, just as Nebuchadnezzar did. 
So they treat themselves as God. He's treating himself as the ultimate authority in his life. When we are proud, we are denying God, and we are rejecting his glory, the glory that he and he alone deserves. We don't deserve it. Humility, on the other hand, remembers God and gives him glory. The humble acknowledge that even if they are great among men, they are nothing compared to him. We are totally dependent upon God. All good things that we have are gifts from him. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. His power is unfathomable to us. His might is infinite. We, we can't even begin to conceive of how great he is. And though that, therefore, who are we to think of ourselves as ultimate, think of ourselves as God, think of ourselves as though we are entitled to anything in light of him? Now look at verses 34, 35, and 37. It says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Then verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. At the end of Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation that we see here, he is humbled and finally acknowledges who God is. Do you see the, the entire worldview shift that has taken place in Nebuchadnezzar? At one point, he saw himself as glorious. He saw his, himself as ultimate over his life. He saw his kingdom as something that he was entitled to, but not any longer. He admits that he is nothing compared to God. He's looking at the world through a wide lens that acknowledges God rather than a narrow lens like he was before where he was denying God's existence, in a sense, he, he now has a, a macro view of the world rather than a micro view. And notice that he's not saying these things begrudgingly. He's blessing and praising and honoring and extolling God. Nebuchadnezzar is rejoicing in these things. Humility induces joy. That, that's what we see happening here in Nebuchadnezzar. And that's so counterintuitive when, when I think about humility, when I think about pride, my natural inclination is to think joy comes from being honored, from being praised. I want commendation. That's what will give me lasting pleasure. That's what will satisfy me. And what we see here in Nebuchadnezzar is that, no, that's not true. Yes, that might give a semblance of joy. That might satisfy us for a time, but what ultimately gives us lasting, deep, abiding joy is humility. It is humbling ourselves before the Lord. It is recognizing who we are before him, that we are dependent babies before him. And 
it makes sense if you think about it that humility would induce joy because that's how we are designed. We were designed to be dependent creatures before God. We weren't designed to be gods. And so we're serving, we're fulfilling our purpose and design when we humble ourselves before God. God humiliated Nebuchadnezzar in his pride and then exalted him in his humility because his pride was a deception that denied God the glory that he rightly deserved. All of that was and what, all of that was and had achieved was because of God. All that Nebuchadnezzar saying that word I'm saying that word way too much. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, all that he had and achieved was given to him by God. So let's look quickly at the second half of verse 32. It says, And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. This is the lesson that God wanted him to learn in his humiliation, that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. He gave it to Nebuchadnezzar and he took it from him. And then he ultimately gave it back to him when he recognized who he was before God. It was for God's glory and Nebuchadnezzar's good that God humbled him. Nebuchadnezzar went from falsely perceiving reality to rightly seeing it. And that led to joy. So what of you though? When God humbles you, do you see it as more detrimental than beneficial? Do you get upset or afraid when your sins are revealed or when you're humiliated? Do you despair when your reputation is tarnished before other people? I'd have to say yes to many of the to all of these answers at times. All of these things reveal a heart of pride. Pride is a lie that we must believe that. When you are proud, you are accepting a false perception of reality. Instead, let's be thankful that when God is gracious and loving enough to humble us, we can rightly see reality. Let us enjoy and delight and take comfort in the fact that when we are humbled, as painful as that can be at times, it is for our good. At those times, it's like God is taking... Let's say you wear glasses. It's like he's taking some broken glasses that you've been wearing that are an outdated prescription and he's giving you a new pair that has an updated prescription so you now, can now better focus and see reality for what it is. So yeah, God humbles us for our good and his glory. That is why he does it. But that leads to our next question. How does he do it? How does God humiliate the proud and exalt the humble? We want to know how he does that so that we can recognize those occasions. If being humbled is an occasion, an occasion to rejoice, we want to know when we're being humbled. Similarly, we want to know when he's ex- how he exalts the humble because we want to excitedly anticipate when that will happen as we pursue, hu- pursue humility. In his humiliation and subsequent restoration of Nebuchadnezzar, God shows us four ways that I'm going to highlight that he either humiliates the proud or exalts the humble. 
So let's look at those now. The first one is in humiliation. To humiliate us, God destroys our idols. Idols are those things in our lives that we think we can't be happy without. We worship them, even if we don't recognize it. Look again at verses 29 and 30. We can see what Nebuchadnezzar's idols are. His idols are success, their, his glory, power, his prestige, his accomplishment. Ultimately, he's idolizing himself. So what did God do? Keep looking at verses 31 through 33. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the words were fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. God took everything that Nebuchadnezzar idolized. He took all of it from him. He took his reason. He took his rationality. He took his sanity from him. What we see here is a man who is barely a man, he has lost all of his mental capacity to even behave as a human being, and he acts like a, an animal. He behaves like a wild beast. His, his like fundamental humanity is basically stripped from him. At this point, all of his idols are destroyed. He has none of them to rely on. He's none of them to be satisfied in. God is showing him that he needs God. So what we must learn from this is that God destroys our idols so that we might be humbled as well. So assess your idols. Ask yourself questions. What does your happiness depend upon? What, if it was missing from your life, would lead you to despair? What sorts of things that are really wants in your life do you treat as needs? Ask yourself those questions. Discern your idols And watch for the ways that God is humbling you in those things. Embrace that. Embrace when God is destroying those idols in your lives. Be thankful for when he's doing that. For me, one of my greatest idols that I value the most is my intellect, my ability to reason, to understand things, and to teach those things that I understand to others. And therefore, I need to remember that at any point, God can take that from me. There's times when I'm confused. There's times when I don't understand things or when I make mistakes because I misunderstand something. And I'm embarrassed during those times. I'm deeply embarrassed during those times. But those are times for me to rejoice because God is humbling me. The second way that God shows us how he um, humiliates is that he reveals our weaknesses. Now, this is very similar to the fact that he destroys our idols. Uh, But it can be different. Say, for instance, that your idols are something outside of you. Say it's that relationship you have with someone or that, that thing you possess. Maybe your money is an idol for you. 
In those instances, God can destroy those idols without revealing your weaknesses. But they're the same when our idols are inside of us. Like, for instance, my example of my intellect, a way that God destroys that idol is he also reveals my weakness in that area. I am not as smart as I think I am. And he shows me that a lot, and I'm thankful for that. That, this, that was the case for Nebuchadnezzar. His utter dependence on God for everything about himself that he prized was shown in his weakness and his incapability of caring for himself or helping himself when God humiliated him. Now look at verse 32. You shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Notice there that Nebuchadnezzar was driven from men. It doesn't say that he just left, that he went crazy and then just like ran off into the wilderness. It says he was driven from men. We should also recognize here that God not only shows us our weaknesses to humiliate us, but he shows others our weaknesses as well. People saw his insanity. People saw the fact that he had lost his rational thought and they cast him out. They rejected him. He was not only humiliated privately, but he was humiliated publicly. God does the same for us. He utilizes that for our good. Have you ever despaired or became bitter when a weakness or sin struggle in your life became public? Uh, Are there any sin struggles that you're struggling with right now that you're petrified that others would find out about? Is there something that you're dealing with in your life that you do not want to confess to anyone, even your closest friends or spouse? All of these feelings are due to pride. Rejoice when God reveals those things. Rejoice when those problems, those struggles, those weaknesses are brought to light. When they stay in the darkness, they can't be changed. They're not going to be uh, improved or affected by God. But when, when things are brought into the light, they can be transformed and renewed. And Here's a lesson that we can learn about confession when we think about this. Confession is a gift from God for us. It is an opportunity for us to pursue humility ourselves. And so let's stop viewing confession as this frightening, debilitating activity that we don't want to participate in, and let's rejoice in it. Let's confess our sins to one another. In those times when we trust God, um, in those times when we can confess Let's trust God that those times are good and that they're refining and humbling and transformative. If you, can, if you fear confessing your sins to your brothers or sisters, I challenge you to confess, especially in light of the ways that God exalts the humble as we're about to see. So now the third point is that God exalts by granting us joy and blessing. Now we already looked at joy We've already seen how God grants us joy and humility. We saw that in how God's humiliation and the subsequent humbling of Nebuchadnezzar induced joy in his heart. It induced praise and worship of God. That's true of us as well. But also look at verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor returned to me. 
My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. We actually see here that God not only grants us joy, but he also blesses the humble as a means of exalting them. God restored all of Nebuchadnezzar's power, his reputation, his status, and he even increased it, it says at the end of the verse. In a very practical way, we can see that God does bless the humble. And we actually see that there's a twofold purpose for that. And that's the fourth and final point of how God, uh, how God humiliates the proud and exalts the humble. He exalts by using us to accomplish his will. Look at verses 36 and 37 again. So at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Notice at the beginning of verse 36, it says, At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom... My majesty and splendor returned to me. God gave Nebuchadnezzar his reason back for the glory of his kingdom. God exalts the humble by using them to accomplish his will. God wanted the king to return to his throne so that he might reign over the kingdom as one submitted to the Lord. God wanted the king of Babylon to be a man that honored and praised him and feared him so that his will might be achieved in the kingdom. The next passage in uh, Daniel's book, starting in Daniel 5, um, it actually moves on to the next king. We don't know how Nebuchadnezzar ruled the kingdom from that point forward. We don't know how long that was. Uh, We don't know at what point in his reign that this humiliation took place. Uh, But we should be able to see that God exalted Nebuchadnezzar because he wanted to use a humbled man to accomplish his will. Now, this is the most precious of the way that God exalts the humble. Think about the fact that God, the Most High, the creator of all things, the possessor of all power and glory, um, he does not need us for anything. He could make anything happen just by a word, His power is infinite. The universe is contained within his power. He doesn't need us, any of us. Yet, he chooses to use us, especially the humble. He uses the humble to do great things. Consider consider Moses. Numbers 12.3 says that he was very humble. It says that he was more, more humble than all people who were on the face of the earth. The correlation of Moses's humility and the incredible, miraculous ways that God used him. That's not a coincidence. God delights in using the lowliest of people to do his work. Do you think at times that you must be successful or well-known or have a lot of prestige to be used by God? Do you think that you need to have a lot of attention on yourself to, to be useful to him? Do you think that meekness and humility are traits that more hinder your impact on the world than help it? These are lies if we believe these things. 
Don't believe them. Remember Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Moses. God uses the weak to humble the strong. He uses the foolish to humble the wise. Um, Paul talks about that when he admits the fact that he was a poor public speaker. But think, think about how much the Lord used him to spread the gospel to the world. Consider the incredible ways that God uses the humble. I mean, think about Jesus. We'll talk more about him later, but he, I mean, he achieved all of God's will. But yeah, we'll get, about that, get to that later. Now, up to this point, I've made a lot of claims about what God does to the proud and what he does to the humble. God humiliates the proud and exalts the humble. I've repeated that many times. And these are very universal statements that I'm making, and I'm not even qualifying them. I'm not saying, well, he humiliates some of the proud and exalts some of the humble, but there's some exceptions to that. No, I'm saying unqualified that God humiliates the proud and he exalts the humble. Now, with me saying that, you're probably thinking, well, what about the exceptions? It seems like there are some. Um, I mean, just thinking about your life, think, you could be asking yourself, what about my coworker who day, day in and day out, every day at work, they act like they're the center of the world, they're the center of attention, but they keep getting promotion after promotion at work. Where is their humiliation? Or on the flip side, what about your humble, self-sacrificial mother who... Um, already has plenty of health issues and then is diagnosed with cancer, where is her exaltation? Is God being unfaithful to his word to these people? Is he being just unfaithful to us in general? Psalm 18.27 says that God saves the humble people, but the haughty eyes he brings down. Well, there definitely seem to be glaring exceptions to this in everyday life. So what about those exceptions? Now, one thing we should know about Daniel, this book, is that God understands that concern. Daniel included this story to assure the Jews that God is sovereign and he is faithful. When Daniel wrote this story, the Jews at the time were both a conquered nation and an exiled nation. Many of them were taken away to Babylon um, to live there and to be assimilated into that culture. The Babylons had defeated them, and the Jews didn't understand why. They were God's people. The Babylonians weren't. Why had he allowed this to happen to them? God tells us through Nebuchadnezzar, though, that he will surely humiliate the proud and exalt the humble. So how should we understand that then? How should we understand these seeming exceptions? And that's where having the precious gift of full revelation is so amazing for us. The exiled Jews never got to see how God was going to fulfill his word. God was going to fulfill it through a God-man that Daniel actually did speak about in the seventh chapter of his book. In verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. 
This is the man who Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 2, 11, when it says um, that this man will be exalted while the pride of men will be humbled in a coming day. We have the privilege of knowing who that man is. Daniel did not see that man. That man was to come 550 years in the future. But we know that to be Jesus Christ. And it is through him that all the proud are humiliated and the humble are exalted. Now, we have to recognize that Jesus is our humility. Pride naturally invades every decision we make. I've talked so much um, about us trying to be humble. Uh, I've, I've talked a lot about like the, the proud, persons, proud person versus the humble person. And what we have to recognize is that apart from Christ, we are hopelessly proud. Apart from Christ, we are all the proud person. None of us is the humble person. Christ is the only truly humble person. It is only in him that we can be found humble as we are united in him. Through faith in him, we are united with him and share in that humility. Though he didn't deserve the humiliation of the proud, he experienced it on the cross. He, he wasn't proud. He deserved all praise and honor and glory, but he was humiliated. He was despised by men. He was killed and suffered and died a humiliating death. He took our humiliation so that we might be found in him to be the exalted, humble ones. And he shows that through his resurrection. But even then, that wasn't the final consummation of that because we're still proud people. Even though in Christ, through faith in him, we are humble before God, we still experience pride. I experience pride every day. I experience pride this morning. But Jesus will return. He's coming back. And when that day comes, he will judge all. For those who are, uni- who are not united with him in faith, they will suffer the consequences of their pride and experience the humiliation of hell forever. For those who are united with Christ, they will be exalted with him because his humiliation was sufficient for them. They will be glorified. They will share in his inheritance. For those who are, um, for those who are united in Christ, we can trust in him and face even the most humiliating circumstances in this life, knowing that there will be a day of greater exaltation, greater joy than we could ever imagine. For those who are not united in Christ, he will humiliate them. There will be a day of judgment coming. And so we, we have to take this seriously. We have to recognize our pride, see Christ, humble ourselves before him, and rejoice in him. Through Christ... God the Father humiliates the proud and exalts the humble. Friends, accept that you are proud. See the pride that lies within you. Don't live your life as though God is not ruler over it. Don't live your life as though you're entitled to things. 
You're deceiving yourself. Pursue humility. Seek mindfulness of God and his glory. Rejoice in the humility you have in him. Rejoice in the dependence you have on the Lord. And, and rejoice in knowing that though you're not entitled to anything, he delights in blessing his children. And he gives us all that we need. Be thankful for the times that he humbles us. Delight in your dependence because that's how you were made to be. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, God, help us to do that. Help us to be your dependent children. Help us to experience humility that induces joy. Help us to encourage one another towards humility. Help us to see ourselves in light of you, that we would behold you, behold your glory, behold your magnificence, and rejoice. That yes, we would see how low we are, but that would not lead us to despair, but that would lead us to to joy. Because though we are small, though we are lowly now in Christ, we can be esteemed to a glory greater than anything we could ever imagine. Father, help us to, to delight in that and to rejoice in Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen.